I am happy to announce today that this week we signed a contract with Ninja Coalition and Ninja Camp is reality and it is going to happen uh, due to a lot of factors, but uh, you've seen in that promo that um, God has moved and continues to move in some pretty incredible ways. Several weeks ago, I stood up and just shared a little bit about the vision of Ninja Warrior Camp. And it's really the bottom line is we'd love to have 450 children, um, K through 6, on our typical vacation Bible school week. We're not calling it vacation Bible school this year, but from 6.15 to 8.30, we want to have 450 kids, half of them from our community. We think that this is going to be a huge event. And several weeks ago, I said to you that this was not going to be a reality unless we had some corporate team-building skill um, sponsorship to the tune of around 30 thousand dollars to offset um, the overall cost to make this happen. Something happened in the last several weeks that is highly unusual. Um, we have had a number of anonymous donations come in. We had one 10000 donation come in. Four $5,000 donations come in. And one $1,000 donation come in, which equals $31,000. Now, the overall cost of the camp we're estimating to be about $62,000. So we're halfway there. But, you know, we have registration. If we're expecting 450 kids times $30, that's a way to generate some income. And because we're no longer dependent upon corporate team-building sponsorship, that opened up a couple other things. For example, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of Ninja Warrior Camp, we're going to have 7th to 10th grade afternoon Extreme Ninja Camp. And on Friday evening, after the Ninja Warrior Camp, we're going to have juniors and seniors able to hang out from 9.30 to 11 and use the uh, Ninja um, equipment. Daniel Gill, who, you know, American Ninja Water has already started, and he was on last Sunday, he will be here the entire week with us giving all kinds of different messages. So he's just camping out here for the week. So what I'm asking for you to do today is to start a campaign of prayer. The prayer and evangelism team is already beginning to create a prayer emphasis leading up to July 22nd through the 26th. That's Monday through Friday. The 28th is a Sunday. We're having three services that Sunday, because we think we could easily have a 1,000 people, many of them from our community. That's what we're hoping for. But what I'm asking you to do today is to consider giving toward a goal of $20,000. And here's what I think. I think that some of you could write a check for $1,000. I think some of you could write a check for $500. I think many could write a check for $100. And then many, many more could give 20 or 30 or $40. That's fine. But our goal is $20,000 because, you know, in addition to the cost to pull this off, 
there's going to be a lot of extra expenses involved. We're providing a pool of scholarships. We think that $30 per child is a really good deal, but we also want every child who wants to come, but if finances are an issue, we want to make sure that that child's able to come. So we're creating the scholarship pool. So that's creating a little bit extra amount with the additional expenses. So, again, what I'm asking you for is today and up until, you know, Ninja Camp in July, would you consider giving a donation? You can do it a variety of different ways. You can go on the app. You can go on our website. There's just Ninja Camp. Um, place for you to give if you're used to online giving. Or you could do it the old-fashioned way. You know what these are? These are envelopes. Okay, and they're right there in the chair in front of you, and you could simply put cash or write a check. Remember, the goal is to reach at least a couple hundred kids that are unchurched in our community. We want all of you, that's why we're giving internal registration, because we think this is going to fill up fast. We're letting you know when registration is so that your kids can sign up. We think that that's really important. We want your kids to have a spot. We want your neighbor's kids to have a spot. If they go to another church, that's fine. But we're really trying to create a space where we can have as many kids that don't go to church at all to be involved in this Ninja Warrior Camp. Does that make sense to you? Okay, thank you. I want to talk to you about something else before I give the message. I'm not, I'm not really sure why this week, but this week I have felt a particular burden. And I want to take a moment to pray. So there's always crisis in the world, right? I mean, we could, I could stand up every Sunday and have prayer for the latest crisis in the world. But for whatever reason, maybe it's just me, but for whatever reason, I feel especially burdened this week for what's been going on in our world. You know, persecution of Christians in Nigeria has gone to a whole new level. My prayer partner, Joshua Ifawape, is Nigerian. We were praying last night. Joshua said, Mark, Nigeria is falling apart. I mean, hundreds of Christians are being killed there. You know about the mass shooting in Virginia Beach? You know that there was another mass shooting in Nairobi, yesterday. Um, Franklin Graham has said, boy, can we pray for our president? Now, let me tell you, whether you voted for our president or not, the word of God says that we ought to be praying for our leaders. Maybe this is too heavy for you. I I get it. I, I just want to pause and pray for our nation and pray for these hot spots around the world and say, Lord Jesus, show up with your people, and bring healing. Does that make sense to you? Okay, let's pray. Father, there's lots of places in the world that are on fire. I've just mentioned a couple I didn't even think to mention a couple weeks ago about the second church attack in Sri Lanka. Um, Your word clearly tells us that we ought to pray for brothers and sisters around the world who are under persecution. And because we love people, when we see a tragedy in the world take place, our heart goes out. 
And so we pray for victims in Virginia Beach and in Nigeria and in Sri Lanka and in Nairobi. And the truth is, next week there's going to be a new crisis. The week after that there'll be another crisis. But we pause right now. And we declare that you are the only hope for this world. Politics are great. Yep. Human resource organizations are great. Yep. But fundamentally, it's only you. And Paul's letter to the Colossians says that God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And so, Father, would you show up through your spirit and through your people, Jesus' people, every place that is hurting on this planet today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you with me? Pretty serious prayer. So we're in a series called Family Matters, and the first week we've talked about um, change your words, change your family, the value and the importance of your words. The second week it was Holly and I being interviewed, we were talking about marriage. Last week I talked about the five gifts that every child needs, and this morning I'm going to talk about how to have a good fight. Now listen, everybody fights. Every marriage has fights. Kids fight in the home. There's actually a study that shows that the more your kids fight with each other, in adulthood, the closer they are. So celebrate. (laughs) Parents fight with their kids. Kids fight with their parents. Everybody fights. Unless you're Melvin and Beatrice. I pastored Melvin and Beatrice 25 years ago. They were 80 at the time, and they had been married for 60 years. Beatrice was a spitfire. You know what I mean by that? I mean, she had fire in her eyes. I mean, she loved Jesus with her whole heart, but she was just very dynamic personality, very opinionated, you know, a strong woman. And she was married to Melvin, who was the quintessential quiet man. He was dignified, sharp dresser. Every single Sunday, Melvin would show up in a suit, tie, had a little handkerchief that matched the tie. Sharp guy. He was what was his favorite word. You know what Melvin's favorite word was? Bodacious. Everything was bodacious. You know what bodacious means? I had to look it up. Excellent. Worthy of praise. And Melvin was a godly man who just personified a dignified, Christ-like man. I was visiting them one day, and I, I was somewhere probably around their 60th wedding anniversary, and so... You know, I just said to them, man, how how have you guys made 60 years? I mean, what's your secret? I'm sure you've had some disagreements through the years. 
And she perked up and said, Melvin and I have never had a fight. Haven't we, Melvin? (laughs) And Melvin looks over with a little Cheshire smile on his face. Yes, dear. And we moved on. Everybody fights. That's not the issue. The issue is how you fight. Now, a little disclaimer. When I'm talking about fighting, I'm not talking about physical violence. I'm not talking about pushing, shoving, throwing punches. I'm not talking about verbal abuse either. I'm not talking about name-calling. I'm not talking about swearing. I'm not talking about intimidation. That's always wrong. Listen, it's always wrong. There may be a tendency to say, well, they just make me crazy. No, you're crazy on your own. I'm not pulling that one back. Sometimes I say stupid things. Holly gets home and goes, what were you thinking? Can we edit that from the tape? What I am talking about in fighting well, having a good fight, I'm talking about the classic understanding of an argument. The classic understanding of an argument is to logically make your case about why you think and feel the way you do. And the purpose of having that kind of argument back and forth is to gain greater understanding and deeper intimacy. In some ways, Christians need to fight more. In some ways, Christians need to stop avoiding and start having good arguments. Not the bad kind, the good kind. Where you actually sit down and open up your heart and say, this is what I really think, and these are, these, are, these are the reasons why I really feel the way I feel, and just begin to walk through why you think and feel the way you feel, and then the other person listens and says, okay, now I don't agree with that. Here's the way I look at it. And Christians ought to be the best fighters on the planet. You understand if I'm using the word fight properly. Now, in order to fight well, there's one special place in the Bible that is like the Christian's guide to fighting. And it's James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And as you're turning in your Bibles or getting on your Version app to James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, let me give you a little bit of background. James is the half-brother of Jesus. So James grew up with Jesus. James is the Greek word for Hebrews, in Hebrew for Jacob. So you could actually call the book of James the book of Jacob. It'd be no problem because James is Jacob in Hebrew. James was the head of the church in Jerusalem. And James experienced a lot of conflict in the 20 years that he led the church in Jerusalem. And 
James' letter is written to Jewish Christians, not in Jerusalem, but across the Jewish world who knew Jesus personally. And James is basically his collection of wisdom of what it means to be an all-in disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and to practically live out in this world. So, the, the, the letter of James is actually 12 mini-sermons. So James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, is literally a mini-sermon on how to deal with conflict. Okay? So, would you stand, please? Let's honor God's word. James chapter 4. Verse 1, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask God for it, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I'm going to say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. What do you think the Scripture means when it says that the Spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy? But He gives even more grace to stand up against such evil desires. As the Scriptures say, God opposes the proud but favors the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Holy Spirit, These are pretty powerful words. Would you use them to speak truth about what it means to fight fair and to have a good fight? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. I'm just going to jump right in. There are three questions that these ten verses address. The first question is, what are the causes of harmful, unnecessary fights, and what are the consequences of that? That's the second question. And then the third question is, how do you really fight fair? How do you have a great argument? So look back on the last argument you had with your spouse, if you're married. Look back on the last argument you had with your kids and begin to say, okay, how could this have been a little bit different, okay? So question number one, what are the causes of a lot of unnecessary, harmful fights? The answer is evil desires that war within you. That may not be what you want to hear, but it's what the Bible says. Do you know why we fight? Because we're fighting inside ourselves. Do you know why we have arguments with other people? Because we're having an internal argument Ourself. And then James goes on and talks about three expressions of our internal arguments and what they look like in everyday life. The first is we have a tendency to argue over possessions. 
You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have. You can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You know, there's nothing wrong with possessions, right? I mean, we need possessions. But there is something wrong with when possessions possess us in a skewed manner. When, posse- when you have an inner drive for more and you can never be satisfied with what you have, when you think that if I only get this, then I'll really be happy, possessions rule you in an unhealthy way. A lot of fights in the home have to do with stuff. Getting the latest phone, iPad, getting a nicer home, getting a nicer car, getting a pool. There's nothing wrong with a nice house, a nice car, and a nice pool. But it's what's driving the fight is the internal expression of I want what I want, and I don't want anybody to tell me otherwise. Two, a lot of arguments in the home result because of pleasure-seeking. Verse 3, you don't, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. Listen, you want only what will give you pleasure. So what gives you pleasure? A quiet walk, silence, shopping, going to the beach, good music, sleeping in. What happens when you don't get those things? We get cranky. What happens when somebody bumps your happy? There's something inside of us that feels entitled that says, hey, I'm really going through a lot right now. Everybody seems to be enjoying themselves. What am I going to get my chance to really have my day and enjoy myself? And there's this internal battle that goes on with, when am I going to get what I deserve? It was a breakthrough in our home when we discovered vacation on demand. So here's, here's what we discovered, and it was in, when the girls were teenagers, and it just changed our whole vacation time. When we go on a week vacation or a two-week vacation, we would always line it up in such a way that, you know, Monday was Bethany's day, Tuesday was Emily's day, Wednesday was Holly's day, Thursday was, Friday, uh, was my day, and we just kept rotating. So what that really meant was is that whatever Bethany wanted to do on Monday, it was her day, and we just did it. And whatever Emily wanted to do on Tuesday, it was her day, we just did it. And so we were in Chicago one year, and, you know, Bethany wanted to go to this place and this place and this place, and so we just did what she wanted to do. My thing was I wanted to go to a Cubs game at Wrigley Field, and so we showed up, went to Wrigley Field, and I didn't realize, because I'm not from the Midwest, that the East rivalry between the Yankees and the Red Sox, the Midwest rivalry is between the Chicago Cubs and the St. Louis Cardinals. We showed up on that day. And I also didn't realize at Wrigley Field that they don't care if you don't have a seat or not. They'll keep selling tickets. 
So for two and a half hours, I stood, our entire family, oh, what a joy that was. Our entire family stood behind a white line like this and watched the game. And what you need to know about Wrigley Field is it's an old-time stadium. It's sort of like Fenway Park, built like 1914, 1916. They don't care if there's a column in front of your seat. So we stood the whole time. Is, is there a field out there? Oh, look at I see a baseball player. What happened? I stood, we stood for the entire two and a half hours watching the screen. I got vetoed my next day. Like, you're terrible. We're skipping you out. You know what I'm saying? Three, okay, so why are there, what causes most fights in your home? Pleasure, possessions, but here's the biggie, pride. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know, pride causes a lot of fights. Pride causes a lot of fights in two ways. The first is, we don't want to admit that we're wrong, so we have a hard time saying we're sorry. Have you ever been arguing with, arguing with your spouse, and as you're arguing, you're realizing they're actually right? But now you can't admit it, because you're in it. And so you find all kinds of ways to keep arguing and land the ship. But you know deep in your heart, shoot, they were actually right. But you're never going to admit it. What is that? That's pride. Pride also, there's a flip side to pride, and that is keeping up appearances. We want our friends, we want our neighbors, we want our relatives to think that everything's going great even when it's not. Now that can be in a possession realm where you end up overspending because you have a certain lifestyle. It can also be in an image realm where you, you make sure that your family looks a certain way and carefully crafted a certain way just so that you want everybody to think you have your act together. But you know you really don't. There's nothing wrong with everybody wearing the same sweater for your Christmas picture, right? But sometimes we want everything to look so perfect to present a perfect image when you know it's really not. And so you suffer in silence month after month, year after year, because you're just too proud to get help. Proverbs 13.10 says, pride leads to arguments. Okay? So pride, possessions, and pleasure, those are the big three that really come from a heart that is at war in itself. Now listen, those of you who know the Bible, when James talks about these evil desires that come from our heart, it is strangely reminiscent of Romans chapter 7, where the Apostle Paul is talking about the carnal nature that is at war within us. We, we do what we don't want to do because we don't have the power to stop doing what we know we shouldn't be doing. And oh, there's a civil war in us. And the, and the Apostle Paul is talking about our carnal nature, our, our flesh, that part of us that wants to follow God but always ends up doing something that we know we shouldn't do. The second question is, what are the consequences of letting possessions, pleasure, and pride run your life and cause fights? 
there are three answers. The first is strained, strained relationships. The second is shameful deeds. So you can scheme and kill to get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Okay, what does shameful things mean? When we're fighting with somebody in a harmful, destructive way, we usually end up doing or saying things that are shameful. For example, if you have a problem with possessions, you take out a credit card and you don't tell your spouse. And you run up this credit card and you act as if, I'm just going to hide that part. Or you purchase a lot of things, but you don't tell your spouse until the credit card comes in. And then whoever does the bills looks at the credit card and goes, what? Where did all this come from? Oh, I I bought those things. You know why that's shameful? Because it's disrespectful. And it's not treating each other on an equal plane. You know what else is shameful? Having conversations with the person of the, with a person of the opposite sex in a chat room and just letting that conversation develop into an emotional attachment we're not going to bring it up to our spouse and we have all kinds of reasons why you know we need to do that because our needs aren't being met but it's still shameful third unanswered prayer James goes on to say that when we have fights and arguments that are harmful and destructive, one of the consequences of that is we actually don't get our prayers answered. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it, and even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. The the goal of prayer is not to get your stuff. The goal of prayer is increased intimacy with God. This leads to the last question. So the first question is, what causes fights and arguments? The second question, what are the consequences of those things? The third question is, so how do you actually really fight fair? And James gives four answers. The first is, fighting with a humble spirit. Okay, what does that look like to fight with a humble spirit. So humble yourselves before God. What does that look like? Four things. The first is humility in fighting means working on yourself first. The tendency is to think if only he would change, I wouldn't be acting like this. No, that's not true. In these verses, James is saying, constantly place yourself under God's authority. Constantly recognize that you have a spiritual enemy that wants there to be constant conflict in your home and in your most intimate relationships. So you need to push back. We need to intentionally bring the conflict to the Lord in prayer. And and the way that we bring that conflict to the Lord in prayer is not to pray for the other person to change their mind. 
We need to think about it from the perspective of, Lord, what do you want me to see about myself, about my spouse, about my children in this present conflict? Being humble and working on yourself also means confessing sin on your part of the conflict and asking God to give you a clean heart. Okay, so what are some other ways that we work on ourselves? Let me just give you a quick list. Ask yourself these questions. Do you withdraw and go passive when you're fighting? If so, work on staying in the fight. Do you chase the other person? I've known spouses through the years that when they were having an argument, one spouse tries to get away and the other spouse follows them everywhere in the house. That's a mistake. Give your spouse room. Do not follow them into every room where they're at. If they need to walk away and collect themselves, let them collect themselves. Do you use cryptic languages, cryptic language that forces the other person to read your mind? Work on being concise and clear. Do you bring up issue after issue rather than sticking to one issue? Work on bringing up one issue at a time, resolving it, and then bringing up the next issue. Nobody can fight well if they're talking about four different issues at the same time. Work on one, resolve it, go to the next. Do you use trigger phrases like always and never? Work on not being so dramatic in language that de-escalates. Do you have a tendency to yell or shout? Work on your emotional temperament. Do you have a tendency to bring up past mistakes of the other person when you argue? Work on keeping the present issue the present issue. When you're wrong, do you apologize? Or do you go right to pride? It's amazing, particularly in the home, how we have this inner scale where, well, they were more wrong than me. So I'm not going to apologize because they were more wrong than me. And by the way, why am I always the one apologizing? When are they going to apologize? That gets back to the whole evil desires thing and pride. Okay, humility means working on yourself first. It also means seeking to understand before being understood. This has to do with listening. Really listening to what the other person is saying rather than forming your response to what they're saying as they're speaking. You can't really hear what the other person is saying if you're forming your next shot. Listen to what's being said. It's actually called empathic listening. It's listening not just logically, it's listening with the heart. How many of you know a marriage is not all about logical thinking? Men get ourselves in trouble with this all the time. Marriage is actually about logical thinking 
and feeling thinking at the same time. So most guys, I'm just throwing that out there because I'm a guy. Most guys are always trying to solve something when women sometimes don't want a solution, they just need to be heard. But we are automatically in fix-it mode. Sometimes we have to get out of fix-it mode. Three, what does it look like humility-wise to have a good argument? Ask, your, ask, what is this really about? I have found that most fights are not really about what's being fought over. Have you discovered that? Most fights are actually not what's being fought over. There's actually something else going on. For example, women have told me through the years that they are so starved for their husband's attention that sometimes they just pick a fight so that they'll respond. You may find that odd, but I've talked to actually many women through the years that are so emotionally starved They'd rather have an argument with their spouse than silence. A lot of fights are actually about power and control issues. Basically, who's going to be in charge? And so, in the home, marriage after marriage, it's just like, who's really going to be in charge here? Um, Remember, it's mutual submissiveness. Some fights happen out of fear and worry over another issue. You may have an argument over something over here, but it's actually really about something that's worrying that other person or fearful, and it doesn't have anything to do with that, but it carried over. Some fights are actually about punishing the other person because they were hurt some weeks ago or months or years ago. Lastly, humility is about having a constant attitude of forgiveness. The default in all relationships ought to be forgiveness. So, I heard this story this week that uh, blew my mind. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to the Thomas Edison Historical Park in in, uh, West Orange, New Jersey. It's well worth going. Um, The old Menlo Park is gone. It's, It's now all things Edison at the Edison Park. So Hal and I went there on a Sunday afternoon a couple of years ago, and we just walked through the entire place where Edison did all of his experiments, those kinds of things. And I found a story that I think you'll find fascinating. Edison, it took him 3,000 experiments to come up with the light bulb. And he and his team, when they finally discovered the light bulb, and what would work. He and his team worked for 24 hours straight to make the very first light bulb. When it was made, he gave it to a young apprentice kid who was supposed to take it upstairs and give it to somebody else. This young apprentice kid has the first light bulb in his hand, and he walks up the stairs and breaks it. Edison and his team go right back and spend another 24 hours straight making a second light bulb. Edison gives it to the same kid and says, take it upstairs. That's forgiveness. 
that's forgiveness. It's starting over. It's releasing the right to punish. You're going to have to forgive your spouse if you're married. You're going to have to forgive your kids if they're still at home and even when they grow and go out of the home. You're going to have to forgive them, listen, tens of thousands of times. But that shouldn't bother you at all because they're forgiving you tens of thousands of times. And that shouldn't bother you at all because the Lord Jesus Christ has forgiven us. And we are free to forgive other people, even people who have offended us. I'm not saying you're a doormat and you just keep saying, you know, okay, I'll just keep taking it. I'm not talking about that. That's dysfunctional. I'm talking about people who really love each other, but because you're human, you're going to keep bumping up against each other and needing to experience forgiveness and needing to give forgiveness. It's giving them the light bulb all over again. Now I want to swing this message back around to one thing. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. I want to go back to this idea that the core of most arguments really has to do with us. Because we're really warring on the inside. And I'm wondering this morning, even if you've given your life to Jesus, I'm wondering if some of you that resonates with, and you're like, yeah, I mean, I know Jesus, I've given my life to Jesus, I know that He's forgiven me of my sins, but there is still this sinful nature inside of me that wars. And it has evil desires. It wants things that I know are not godly. And you want to talk to the Lord about that. And you want to do exactly what Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 says, bringing your sinful nature, that warring part of you on the inside, bringing that to the Lord and saying, Jesus, I'm giving that to you right now. Would you crucify that and set me free of me so that I can live the kind of life of being all in with Jesus that you're calling me to live. Would you stand please? Why are there fights, quarrels, arguments? A lot of them really have to do with the evil desires that rest within us. And if you want to give God that warring part of you on the inside that is prideful, that is self-centered, that is all about you, that just wants what you want, and you don't want anybody else to mess with what you want, selfishness to the core, you know what Jesus will do? Jesus will break that. And he'll say, okay, it's not mean, it doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect, but it does mean that Jesus will take his rightful place at the center of your life. Bow your heads, please.
if that message sounds appealing to you, and you want to pray and ask Jesus to break that carnal nature inside of you, why don't you just raise your hand right now, and I'm going to say a simple prayer over you. Yep, I see hands going up all over the place. This is real stuff, right? Yep. So here's my prayer for you. Jesus, people have raised their hands and have said, yeah, I see that those evil desires and tendencies that produce a lot of unhealthy conflict inside of me. Break that right now. I surrender that to you. Do what I can't do. Break it. I'm literally crucifying it to you right now. I give myself, my motives, my actions, my desires over to you. Break that from this moment on. In the power of the risen Savior, I pray these things. Amen. Hey, this week, go and have a good fight. Okay? God bless you.